0: Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Colin Webster, uh, who is a professor and the associate dean for research and innovation at the University of South Carolina. Now, the article we're highlighting today is titled Measuring and Comparing Physical Education Teachers' Perceived Attributes of CSPAPs, an Innovation Adoption Perspective, Uh, This was recently released ahead of publication in the Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. So, Colin, thank you very much for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Risto. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, let's get started with this article. You you start the article by discussing CSPAP, which is comprehensive school physical activity programs, and how they fit into school settings. Can you tell us exactly um, what is a CSPAP and how they uh, came to be promoted in the schools?
1: Not really, because a C-SPAP is still kind of uh, contested terrain as far as operationally conceptualizing what that really is. Uh, I like to borrow a term that I hear Tom McKenzie use a lot, which is ground-truthing, but we really lack the kind of on-the-ground evidence in the literature to help us understand what C-SPAPs might actually look like in the real world. Uh, And so really tackling uh, conceptually what you know, what we're really talking about has been challenging. I will say I've worked with a couple of groups recently um, who are kind of trying to figure this out. And and what we'll talk about a little bit as we get into the study that, that you're focusing on for this uh, podcast is that um, I actually kind of approached defining C-SPAP a little differently than what people have done in the past. And there's some good reasons for that, I think. Um, but I'll say that the generally kind of accepted um ideas about c up till now have, have been around this idea that you have a five component uh, initiative or framework. The term model is probably misleading because it communicates that uh, that what we're trying to do is have some kind of a program or approach replicated from one site to the next. We know already from some of the earlier uh, case studies on c that more than likely each each spap will look different and and come about differently than uh, others Mm -hmm. maybe even within a school the same school district Um, but generally speaking people talk about CSPAPs as five component programs uh, that encompass a physical education program and then other opportunities before during and after school Uh, you know the, the other four components you'll usually see are staff involvement which is the idea that it takes a village and not just a pe teacher to promote physical activity throughout the school system. Mm -hmm. Uh, Community and family engagement, which of course is the idea that uh, beyond, you know, your school professionals, you have your surrounding community of stakeholders who can help to promote physical activity. And then, you know, during school outside of PE, there would be in elementary school settings and middle school settings, the opportunity in many cases for recess. Uh, Certainly, you know, getting kids active during their regular classroom time Uh, Other suggestions have been drop-in events where, you know, we might open facilities during lunch and allow students to kind of drop in to be physically active, for instance. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, before and after school programs. So our most traditional um, thinking around that has been interscholastic sports for middle and high school students. But, um, you know, we also think about intramurals. We think about active transportation programs. Um, So there's there's a lot that goes into the notion of a C-SPAP
0: yeah so definitely a lot of moving parts yes Um, now this specific study um, that we're talking about you used uh um, you framed it using the diffusion of innovations theory can you explain Mm -hmm. this to the listeners um that might not be so familiar with this
1: i'll do my best uh it's, it's a broad and very well established theory and frankly my attention has up till now, focused mostly on the adoption part of the the theory. It's really a theory that's broken into two major parts, which is the adoption of an innovation and then the diffusion of that innovation widely. Mm -hmm. Um, The adoption piece is what we focused on in this study. And really, it's difficult. It can be challenging within any organization to uh to introduce some kind of an initiative, some innovation, and in this case we're we're treating CSPAP as an innovative idea. Um can be difficult to to get to the point where you have kind of a critical mass of people within that organization who really buy into the innovation and want to adopt it. And then it becomes kind of uh past what they call the tipping point in this theory where eventually, you know, the the late majority and those people who we would term in this theory, the laggards, those who are least likely to adopt any new kind of initiative would eventually say, Okay, yeah, I think I'm on board with this, and we'll we'll try it, uh, and and actually get to the point where they might routinely use it. Uh, So, you know, that the the trick is to figure out what is it that potential adopters are looking at when they're introduced to some kind of a new idea. uh, And in this case, within an educational context, And the most often uh, studied variables that you'll see in diffusion of innovation research around adoption, are the five perceived attributes of an innovation. And that's what we focused on in this study. Mm -hmm. So what is it that people really pay attention to as a potential adopter? Those five perceived attributes are um, the relative advantage of the innovation. And so, you know, will this innovation be in some way advantageous monetarily um, or will it be advantageous in terms of, you know, my time investment or in some other way going to, going to benefit me compared to what I'm doing now as an educator? Uh, the perceived compatibility of the innovation. So am I my, my current philosophy as an educator or are my skills, my knowledge consistent with and compatible with what this innovation is going to ask me to really be able to do? Uh, perceived complexity or simplicity. We, we, we often in the diffusions literature, they, they talk about complexity, but we kind of reversed it for this study to talk about simplicity. Um, and that's, is it going to be relatively hard or relatively easy for me to adopt this innovation? Um, and then perceived observability is the idea that if I'm going to implement a C-spat, for instance, you know, how observable will the results of what I'm doing be to other stakeholders? Will parents be able to see the positive benefits of implementing a CSPAP in the school setting? Will administrators be able to see that and so forth? And then the last one is perceived trialability. And that's the idea that, um, you know, it could be something that I can kind of adopt on a trial basis and be able to experiment with it a little bit before I adopt in full. And if I perceive it as more trialable, Generally, the literature has shown that, you know, I may be more likely to adopt because I don't have to see it as something that I have to do right away, full bore.
0: Right. And definitely there are two different worlds here of one of conducting research and then diffusing that research. And, you know, we've seen this in in the literature. There are some really great studies out there that talk about different new curriculum models or cool programs, but, you know getting them to diffuse that to the general public and the PE teacher in XYZ school is a completely different thing. Um, That's right. Yeah.
1: Well, I think we all have been in situations and we know anecdotally that most schools have, you know, a champion for something like a C-SPAP. You know, you have may not be necessarily the physical education teacher. It could be a classroom teacher or a parent or an administrator, maybe a group of people. But the trick is to, um, to get, you know, enough people within that school system within the organization to really um, buy into something like this so that it can be implemented across the board. And the diffusion the piece is, is also kind of connected to the idea of sustainability. You know, yeah. once uh, when something really is widespread, we might get to the point where even if key personnel within a school system move on, you know, and we, we know that we have uh, transition of administrators and teachers in, in school arenas. Um, even when that happens, we should we should hope that, you know, with, with good diffusion, you would have a fairly institutionalized c so that uh, it can stay and be sustainable even when kind of parts, key parts, particularly personnel, might mm-hmm. move on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the two, um, two not curriculum models, but... Um, if you look at the spark model, right, they did this diffusion paper. I don't remember where it came out from, but it was beyond the stucco tower. And it talked about the diffusion of the program granted started as an NIH, NSF funded, uh, grant, and then went into a for-profit company and got bought out. But how that was diffused versus how c I mean, CDC has backed the c model fairly heavily and where that funding has gone, we've seen people, people use it. Right. So I think it's interesting to see how even, you know, these two programs versus some isolated, really innovative, cool research study never sees the light of day. So.
1: Sure. um, We, uh, we just recently published our, um, Russ Carson and I co-edited a, a comprehensive text on c and the research that's happened so far around c and uh, the translation of that research to practice. And um, what one of the chapters in that text, which I uh, first authored, had to do with sustainability of c And it turns out, um, you're right. The CDC has provided, you know, some of the, the biggest national level support for. Uh, research and practice around CSPAPs. At the state levels, we've seen um, actually relatively little support, you know, in terms of policy and accountability for CSPAP implementation or sustainability. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the CDC, you know, put, put together a very nice implementation guide for CSPAPs um, back in 2013. But unfortunately, the, um, the attention to sustainability in that guide was about a paragraph long out of about 64 pages. Mm. It's just not mm. something yeah. that there's a lot of research on or a lot of guidance around at this point. But I will say the example that you cited, the Spark studies, and I think CATCH as well, mm-hmm. um, there, there are some of the few examples out there that really, you know, they, they did good follow-up studies, they've, they've demonstrated some sustainability, and they, they've learned lessons that they've disseminated about that. Yeah, And absolutely. One, of the key, one of the key lessons is really just, you know, planning for sustainability at the outset, yeah. so when you're thinking about implementation you should be thinking about sustainability at that point
0: yeah absolutely so let's get forward a little bit um can you talk about what the purpose of this specific study was and what kind of led you to conduct this uh research
1: sure yeah this, this study was focused on the perceptions of physical education teachers nationally um about c and at the time of the study and even now there's very little research literature that's focused on how physical education teachers perceive CSPAPs. You know, what do they think about? How much do they know about CSPAPs? Um, if we talk about CSPAPs with them, what are their impressions? You know, they, what what do they see in terms of its perceived attributes? Mm-hmm. You know, do they see a CSPAP as relatively advantageous if they're not doing one now, compared to what they may be doing related to their physical education program, for instance? Uh, you know, do they see it as compatible with their current skill set or philosophy as educators? So we we wanted to, you know, understand physical education teachers perceptions of c using a diffusion of innovation adoption perspective.
0: All right. So you discuss in the methods section, the development of the survey that you sent out widely across the country. Can you discuss the development of the survey and why, why was it important to go through so many rounds of pilot testing?
1: Sure. So pilot testing is critical in survey design. Um, there are are usually when you're thinking about established steps to doing surveys, a number of phases that you really need to be careful that you you, you ensure that you go through. Um, we did three kind of uh, phases to our pilot testing here. We, we examined a lot of the survey literature and based on our previous experiences doing surveys, we determined that you know what we're really looking at here is wanting to make sure that first of all, are there any other surveys out there somewhere that we maybe weren't aware of that measured something like what we were, were after in this study. Mm-hmm. And of course, there were a number of studies um, that had been done where people had used, used different survey measures that had looked at the adoption process and those five perceived attributes within diffusion of innovations theory. Right. So we collected all of those, we, um, we studied them carefully and, and we took from them, either we adopted or adapted from those surveys items that we felt were closely related to the kinds of questions that we wanted to ask on our survey. We modified them accordingly, you know, related to the purpose of our particular study. Um, But it took a long time. It took actually a few months to get to the point where we felt like we had done an exhaustive search of the literature to make sure that we had pulled all of the existing instrumentation, whether those were, you know, existing surveys or even interview protocols, any any kinds of questions that were out there that might be pertinent to what we would want to ask our participants in our surveys.
0: Yeah, so how, how many uh, participants, like overall, after you've collected this, how many participants did you have? And do you kind of feel like this was a representative sample? And maybe you can speak a little bit to um, online survey research as well, and what kind of, you know, uh, response rates are are expected?
1: Absolutely. Well, we had a total of over 500 participants actually um, in the study. We 400, almost 500 of those participants were um, were people who were actually in the main study. But in the pilot testing phase, once we developed all of our items, we wanted to pilot them with a couple of different samples. Uh, we actually first sent the survey to a group of CSPAP researchers and had them review the items and we got their feedback and then we we also sent the survey to a group of diffusion of innovation theory researchers people who had published in that area got their feedback and made some modifications and and then we actually sent the survey a third time out to a group of practicing pe teachers a convenience sample that we were able to mm-hmm. put together based on a number of people that we know across um you know the authors of the study but also some other people that work in our physical education doctoral program here at the University of South Carolina. So we, we, um, we wanted to make sure that, you know, that PE teachers would look at the survey, that they would find it to be interpretable, that they'd find it to be digestible. We got their feedback. We wanted to get, also be able to do some preliminary analyses on the responses that we got from that convenience sample to kind of make sure that we were on the right track and that our expectations about how these different items would would kind of turn out statistically would be confirmed at that early stage, which that which they were. And so then we finally got our main study sample, which was a national sample. And what we did Risto, this was interesting, we, I was working with a student in our counselor education program, who's one of the authors on this paper. And um, she had already knew she knew about something that I didn't, which was that there was a national kind of a federal database of all of the public schools in the United States which was tremendously resourceful for us. So we we went to that website, free access, and we simply um, randomly sampled 20 schools at the elementary, middle, and then also at the high school level from each state in the United States. And so that gave us actually, we had a a total of 3,000 schools that we had randomly sampled nationally from that database. And then we found up from their websites where the where information was available, we got all of the um, the email addresses for any PE teachers that we could find. And so that's what ended up becoming our contact list. We used SurveyMonkey as our platform, and we, we sent the invitation to do the email to you know almost 3,000 physical education teacher contact emails. And we ended up with a total sample. I'm looking back through my study. I think it was just over 400, actually. Um so we had somewhere around a 10% response rate which actually in survey research is considered acceptable even though it sounds very low. Yeah
0: and that that is always the the issue right you send this random email from a random thing we're we're trained now to like look out for spam and not to click on certain emails so you know 10% i mean still you you did have you know over 400 schools or 400 teachers respond which is which is a good amount of of, of you know schools to get information from so All right, so you did use exploratory structural equation modeling. Uh, Now, we did have a podcast just a few episodes before with Kevin Richards, who describes this. So we're going to skip over that piece. And if you are interested in that, you can look through um, those podcasts for for more information on how to conduct that. But let's go through into the results. Um, So when you ran ran this model, uh, what did you find as results?
1: Well, our results were as expected based on previous diffusion of innovations literature and particularly the research that we had done with diffusion of innovations um, with elementary classroom teachers, where we had also looked at the same five perceived attributes. Um, We found here again with physical education teachers that based on the responses they had to our survey items, the um, five perceived attribute variables were significantly related to each other. And so um, what that means, of course, is, you know, the more that I see an innovation as compatible, for instance, with my own skill set as a teacher, the more likely I'm also going to perceive the same innovation to be relatively advantageous, the same I'm going to, uh, I'm also going to see it as, um, you know, relatively more simple to use than hard. So, you know, those were the expectations that we had and our statistics bore that out.
0: And in the results section, you showed that this the survey uh, relationship existed between those five perceived attributes that you talk about of the diffusion and innovation within the CSPEP context. What does that mean for the future?
1: Well, I think uh, from a research standpoint, we can be pretty confident from this study that uh, when we go out and we, you know, if we want to look at perceived attributes with physical education teachers, we can expect that. Um, most likely we're going to get responses that tell us that when someone sees an innovation as positive from one perspective, if they see any attribute as relatively um, positive, they'll probably see from the other perspectives, they'll also look at the innovation from a positive light. So for instance, you know, if I, if I feel like I'm going to have the opportunity for uh, experimentation or trial ability with an innovation, that's also going to mean that I'll perceive... The innovation is relatively advantageous. So these these different five attributes, while they are unique variables, they're 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 closely related, and they all, um, you know, not, nothing is is going to be kind of antagonistic in that process. So, but from a practical standpoint, as a teacher educator or as a um, interventionist, of course, I'll be able to go in and have a, a pretty good level of confidence, knowing that if I'm preparing someone in uh, the use of a CSPAP or to implement a CSPAP that I can think about those five perceived attributes uh, all as being kind of consistent and in, in, in being helpful to prepare someone in thinking about that innovation in positive ways.
0: Right. Now, the other benefit that you have out of the study is that the survey that you created is valid. How do you see this tool being used in the future?
1: Uh, I would hope that um, other research teams would have the opportunity to use this instrument, of course, this was just an exploratory study. We still would need to continue to do more validation work with other samples of physical education teachers. But I think moving forward, you know, we we feel like this is a tool that can be very helpful in um, not just measuring the perceived attributes that physical educators have about CSPAPs, but also in, you know, kind of looking at the differences between those people who have already adopted a CSPAP and those who are potential adopters and that was kind of the other focus of this study here was that, you know, we wanted to understand if people in their survey said, yes, my school has a C-SPAP or no, it doesn't. Well, from a perceived attributes perspective, from an adoption perspective, why would that be the case? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, one of our main results was that we found that those teachers who reported that their school already has a C-SPAP saw c as simpler to implement than those teachers that hadn't yet mm-hmm. uh, been in a school with, with, or that were working at schools that had not yet adopted a C-SPAP. And we thought that was interesting. It seems counterintuitive that, right. you know, we might think that it's the teachers who haven't yet adopted that would see it as, as harder to do, um, or I, I, they might see it as, as um, more, more challenging.
0: Right,
1: interesting. But uh, what we what we found was when the, when the teachers had already started using a C-SPAP, that it may, may not have been as difficult as they had thought that it would have been, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting just because, you know, we, we feel like that that's important, that, you know, it may not be as hard necessarily to, to implement a C-SPAP as, as what we might think. Some of the, um, the bar- we might need to do some further research to understand what are some of the, the kind of perceived barriers to implementing a C-SPAP, because that hasn't um, been a real focus of the research with physical education teachers at this point
0: right so what are what are kind of the main takeaways in this study?
1: Uh, so for me, you know, first of all, I think you know this is just the first step, and we we put a lot of emphasis on the role of the physical education teacher in adopting or implementing or kind of uh, you know getting getting the momentum necessary to school to really implement a C-SPAP. Uh, but, and that was really the main, you know, impetus for doing the study is because so much of the literature really does focus on the PE professional as that kind of um, main protagonist in that, in that process. Uh, but I, I think that some of the next steps really have to do with, yes, continue to, you know, to understand what it takes for physical education teachers to buy into doing something like this. What are the main facilitators? What are the main barriers? Um, understanding these teachers' perceptions. But also, of course, moving beyond the physical education teacher, I think a lot of the classroom teacher work has been very important mm-hmm. in trying to really um, understand because, you know, you may have one to five or six in some big high schools, for instance, PE teachers, but you're going to have so many other classroom teachers who really are necessary for the synergy and uh, the collaboration to really get the full program up and running and, and to be sustained in time. And then, of course, administrators. There's just really very little work, work right now that has been done to understand the perceptions Of administrators in this process and the training that they've received and uh, you know what might they perceive as the key facilitators or barriers at the organizational level and um, and even beyond you know the organization if you look at the school district level for instance with superintendents and what kinds of supports or involvement they might have with CSPAP implementation or sustainability a lot of that has has yet to be done really Um, that's that's work yet to be done for researchers in our field so there's, um, we have a long way to go. I will say what's interesting is I gave a presentation a couple of weeks ago to some international teachers out in Hong Kong. And um, what, what I was doing was trying to understand, you know, if you look at the effectiveness of our efforts in promoting physical activity through schools till now, we've not really moved the needle very far and maybe not at all at this point and one of the reasons for that that often really is not cited, is this notion of paradigm shifts i think we spend you know probably a good 15 to maybe sometimes even up to 30 years sometimes within a particular kind of research paradigm that that focuses on particular outcomes of interest for the field usually spurred on by some kind of an issue at the societal level so for Mm -hmm. instance you know we've looked a lot at you know the obesity trends and then relationships between um unhealthy weight and other uh you know long-term health consequences and physical inactivity and so we all many many of us know about you know um, uh sallison mckenzie's seminal publication in 1991 in research quarterly that was looking at the role of physical education in public health well we're just now you know it's it's 2019 it's it's um we we just put out our first comprehensive text on c-spaps and you know what we know is that the research we still have a long way to go with research around what makes a good c-spap how do we make that work how do we make that actually uh, make a difference in kids physical activity lives both now and for the future and but we're already seeing you know we could already be moving into another kind of major paradigm as we move into mental health social emotional learning um and certainly there are there are close relationships between physical activity promotion and mental health but i think we have to be wary of the fact that you know, when we kind of jump on one bandwagon to the next and to the next and to the next, often we don't give ourselves a chance as a research community to really translate research into practice. I read a very interesting statistic from the health promotion field that said, on average, you know, barring a, a number of confounding variables, but on average, you're looking at about a 17-year period that it takes from the inception of a research program to the point where that program may actually see translation to practice. Wow. <laughs> And so when you think about things in those terms we ask ourselves, why is it we're not able to move the needle on youth physical activity? Part of it, I I don't know that we've necessarily done, you know, that we haven't been doing good science. I think that it's just that we don't have enough time to really invest in, uh, all of the studies and the translation needed to get to the point where what we know actually becomes what we do.
0: Right. And so when we look at the, the Shape America piece for this, they really advocate for the PE teacher to be at the center of this program. And whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, we can discuss that some other day. But when we look at this in terms of teacher education programs, like let's say, for example, our program at George Mason, we hear CSPAP, CSPAP, CSPAP all over the place. So now we're starting to incorporate this to train our teachers to be able to, you know, implement this. So in case they get dropped into a program where they now become the, you know, you know, the champion for c at their school, that our graduates know what c is, understand what they should be doing to promote it and just putting them more successfully into that position. So how can we as teacher educators better prepare teachers in this area of CSPAPs?
1: Well, I think uh, one one important step is simply to um, probably come together more as a profession and as a field and understand that one of the key mechanisms for, for making a difference in what Physical education teachers might do or believe in when they graduate from our pre-service programs is how we frame what's important for professional work in our field. And of course, you know, our beginning teacher standards is one of those key frames. Right now, there's there's really very little language. Um, only in standard six, there's one performance indicator which talks about you know having some understanding or knowledge related to comprehensive approaches or whole-of-school approaches to promoting physical activity. Mm-hmm. But in none of those standards, is there any expectation for our initial licensure candidates to have any skills whatsoever in in actually galvanizing a school community toward, you know, real change as far as daily physical activity opportunities and uh, lifelong physical activity participation? Yeah. Because we know allocated curriculum time in physical education as it stands today in this country across most school contexts probably isn't sufficient to really get at, you know, all students meeting the standards and all students actually, you know, moving toward a life of lifelong physical activity. And so to really, I mean, what well, for me, the CSPAP is really a chance to leverage and strengthen and reinforce physical education programs. It shouldn't just be seen as a chance to get extra physical activity minutes, right. even though a lot of our research just focuses on that. But really, I mean, what we should be doing is thinking about how can a CSPAP actually advance or accelerate our students in schools toward the grade level outcomes in physical education, because the supplemental physical activity they get in the classroom or at recess or before and after school can really probably be designed with more purpose and more intent to really align with what we want to see happen in the educational portion of what we do as physical educators. So to me, that's really key. And I guess getting that message out to our pre-service candidates, um, and, and getting enough buy-in from teacher educators across the country to say, look, if this is really important and we see CFAPs in that light, shouldn't we be doing something about that as far as the frames that we use, the, the accountability and the standards that we hold our um, teacher education programs to? And of course, uh, at the in-service level, making sure that you know we provide specific physical education training for our in-service PE teachers. A lot of the time, those teachers aren't closely observed by their building administrators. They may not get a lot of opportunities for specific physical education preparation. Um, but when we when we think about what we really wanna see happen in schools, we know that we have lots of work still ahead of us because, you know, we just, the school environment tends to be a place where there's a lot of other things going on other than c Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we want it to become routine and part of the, I guess, the value, the core values of, of the school community. Um, like I said earlier, it really needs to be kind kind of institutionalized, I think. yeah
0: so in in the last question, is there anything you'd like to tell um, you know listeners here about the study related to what you've learned or the process of conducting this kind of research maybe something that they might not get from just reading the article.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I mean, this is just a glimpse, right? Like any research study. this gives us one perspective on um, how physical education teachers perceive c But like I said before, I mean, we, we need to know a lot more about physical education teachers, what they're up against in their day-to-day work, uh, what what might be the key levers that we maybe haven't paid attention to that could help us advance our implementation of c and, of course, the the larger community mm-hmm. of people who are involved with c implementation and sustainability. We just, uh, a lot of our research does tend to focus you know, on, on certain individuals, but maybe not others. It's uh, CSPAP is almost always conceptualized as a synergistic collaborative kind of effort. And so our research studies probably should represent that to the extent possible to be thinking about, you know, what is the dynamic within a school community when you think about the perceptions of different stakeholders and how those interrelate. And also, you know, the, the role of the community outside of the school and the partnerships that we can form I think we just started to kind of get at a, a few of the different ways that we might think out of the box related to implementing these programs. But I think in most cases, holding a school solely accountable, you know, as, as the only kind of uh, mechanism for making a C-SPAP work is probably not the best strategy in, in many cases. We, we really need to be thinking about the external systems that are available, communities of practice, uh, you know, your your university people and the university resources that exist, even for when, when a university may be available via distance, you can still be thinking about, you know, what is it that universities can do to kind of support this kind of activity in the schools. And um, so, you know, I think it's a it's a really very, it's a research area that's, that's still in this nascent early stages. It's, uh, it may seem like it's been around for a while. I mean, CSPAPs that the original model was Put out by NASP in 2008, but and and comprehensive approaches like this in this in the health literature have been around much longer. But we are still very much um, in our very immature kind of understandings of what does it take. I uh, do you think it's a really important model. It's one that has been under underutilized clearly, and one where PE teachers still we find might see it as you know this isn't really for me. Mm-hmm. And I think making changing the way that we message about C-SPAPs is very, very important. It's it should not be seen as a something to replicate. Should not be seen as a program necessarily. I think it should be a framework that can be adapted. That should be communicated as adaptable, and that can be communicated as something that is important to strengthen and reinforce physical education and not just to focus on physical activity in minutes, right. which is not part of any of the standards in our physical education. Yeah document. So yeah. So it sounds
0: like that. the research on CSpAPS should be a little bit more comprehensive and a little bit more wide into taking all of the stakeholders and not necessarily just putting it on the school or just putting it on the PE teacher and you know bringing out you know the PE programs, the community resources, which are which are huge. And I think. You know we do underutilize the community um, support sometimes in these programs and in research in in general, um, where they might be really willing uh, participants. In you know they oftentimes have the same goals as what we're trying to do through physical education.
1: Absolutely, um, and and you know, I will just uh, say, and you mentioned community, that is probably the area that the, the component of the CSPAP model, family and community engagement, that particular component has received very little investigative attention compared to the other components of the model. And and it is clearly the one that uh, probably we need to pay a lot more attention to. And I will say that, um, if I remember correctly, when we did our we did a systematic review of the existing interventions at that time, published back in 2015, but the existing interventions that could be mapped onto the CSPAP framework with at least two components, one of which had to be at the, within the school itself. So uh, we found actually no five component interventions. We found um, interventions that were up to four components. And the more components that the intervention had, the more effective the outcome was in terms of daily physical activity, total daily physical activity for, for youth in the study but the, the interventions that had a piece that was focused on family and community engagement also were more effective. And so to me, you know, that, that is kind of the missing ingredient, one that we need to spend a lot more time mm-hmm. trying to conceptualize and understand. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate the work and the time that you put into this work to make it, um, also accessible to people who might not have, um, have the means to read the research paper. Uh, we will link to the article notes down uh, down below in the podcast description. Um, can you let people know where they can find more information on your work or what you're doing in social media or ResearchGate?
1: I do have a ResearchGate page, um, so people can certainly check that out. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any social media accounts or any social. I don't really use the social media. Um, but if anyone does have any questions or wants to follow up directly with me, of course, that's always fine. And and I'm happy for people to send me emails. Um, and other than that, you know, I'm I'm hoping to see people at our professional conferences. I go to shape America pretty much every year. And that's another place we're happy to engage in discussions.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to link to all of this in the article notes. Uh, and thanks for listening.